0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Well, tonight I'm going to be teaching about Paul, formerly known as Saul. Saul. we can't deny the power, powerful impact that Paul had on the growth and development of the early church. His conversion was a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Christ. He had missionary journeys that led to the establishment of churches throughout the Mediterranean world. He was known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. Paul had a large impact on the New Testament scriptures. He authored 13 books of the New Testament, 14 if we count Hebrews. In the only available history of the early church, through the books of Acts, Luke devotes the majority of his book to the life and journeys of Paul. Paul. Clearly, the Holy Spirit emphasized the life and teachings of Paul as an example and source for learning about true discipleship to Jesus Christ. Over the next few studies, we shall match Paul's writings with Luke's record uh, record of his life and travels by examining Paul's life in chronological order. By checking various scripture references relating to each period of Paul's life. By noting at which points in his life Paul wrote his different epistles. By briefly outlining the theme of each epistle in his historical setting. And by displaying a possible route and events leading up to his final years. And by covering these areas over time, the hope is to A, gain a better understanding of the growth of the early church, B, note the influence of Paul's life through his epistles his letters, and see and gain insight into Paul as a servant of the Lord, that his life and work might inspire our own service to Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to begin by talking about Paul's life prior to his conversion, when he was better known as Saul of Tarsus. Let's start by talking about his ancestry and youth. Saul was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, found in Acts 21, verse uh, 39. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. That's Acts 21, verse 39. Verse 39. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. When I first read this, I thought to myself, what did Paul mean by of no mean city? But here, this is not the word mean with a meaning of like nasty. But if we take the Greek meaning, of the word mean here the word is asimos which is the which in greek means unmarked or unstamped unknown of no mark insignificant immoral so by paul's saying of no mean city he's actually saying it's a city of importance Then we have Acts 22, verse 3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God, as you all are today. This was where Paul was addressing the Jerusalem mob. He's basically given them his testimony. How how he thought he had it all. But we will soon see that God changes all that in his life. And lastly, in Acts 23, verses 34 and 35. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Cilicia was a Roman province in South Asia Minor. Can you show the map? Well, down at the bottom there, to the right, east, southeast, you see Cilicia. But eventually the Muslim religion takes over, giving us what we know today as modern Turkey. Paul was also born of Jewish descent, a Hebrew or Israelite of the seed of Abraham. This is found in 2 Corinthians 11.22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. I guess he was also. He was also of the tribe of Benjamin, found in Roman, Romans 11.1. 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. He was also born a Roman citizen. And this is found in Acts 22. Verse 25. Again that's Acts 22. Verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs. Paul said to the centurion who stood by. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And as for where he was born, we don't really know the birth date. They place it around Jesus' birth, but they're not really sure. Now let's talk about Paul's education. He was taught in Jerusalem by Gamaliel a Pharisee, and respected teacher of the law. This is found in Acts 22, verse 3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gemalel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous towards God toward God as you all are today he was also the son of a pharisee and became a strict pharisee this is found in acts 23 verse 6 again that's acts 23 verse 6 but when paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. He also excelled above his contemporaries in Judaism. And that is found in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of of my father's, now next, we'll take a look at this occupation at his occupation. Paul was trained as a tent maker, so let's turn to acts eighteen one verses one through three, verse one after these things, Paul departed from Athens. And went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. Now, what was Paul's character like? He was zealous in persecuting the church concerning the law. He was blameless. This is found in Philippians 3, verse 6. Again, that's Philippians 3, verse 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, and blameless. You know, as I read this verse, I didn't understand why Paul would be considered blameless, even though he had persecuted Christians. I didn't understand But after speaking with someone, and as they were speaking, it clicked. It finally made sense to me. It was in Paul's eyes he was blameless. He thought what he was doing was right. And that's like so many today. For instance, ISIS. Jehovah Witnesses. And I'm sure you can think of many others. You know, no matter how wrong they were or are, or are, they're convinced that what they're doing is right. You know, but what's left out is what I would consider the biggest and most important factor. What does God say about it? What does his word really say? Even as Christians, we can fall into this trap. Don't fool yourself. And we can do that. We can go in directions not God-directed. We can do that by getting ahead of God. I've done that and fallen on my face. By doing that, we can be led by our own feelings, by pride, our own opinions, and our own standards. And that can be very dangerous. And the result of that is never good. But we as Christians can prevent this by seeking God in prayer and in his word for direction. Being patient and waiting on God's timing because his timing is perfect. And Now we can see from the following scripture that Paul served God with a pure conscience also, and that's found in Second Timothy, chapter one, verse three. Again at Second Timothy, chapter one, verse three, it says, "I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing." And I remember you in my prayers night and day. Also Acts 23.1. Again, that's Acts 23.1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in good conscience before God until this day. And in 1 Timothy one, twelve, and 13, starting at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was for, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an isolate man, but I obtained Mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You know, I'm not condoning their actions like ISIS. But why are Christians, why are we Christians so surprised when non-believers do what they do? Why are we so surprised? They don't have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But yet, we're surprised. You know, apart from God, look at where the world has taken themselves. We need to remember that they are blind to the things of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit's guidance and understanding of the word. To me, it's like expecting your car to start without the engine. Makes no sense. You know, but what's cool here is Paul gives credit where it's due to Jesus Christ. And because of this, Paul was ignorant of his blasphemy and persecution. So just because Paul felt he was right, did it make it right? You trust your feelings? No, not at all. But if people were to rely on man's standards, I am sure... We could always justify our actions. And sad to say, there are many churches that do this in the name of God. Laura G. A lot of churches misleading people. Just look all around us. Look at what's going on in the world today. We have so many people, young and old, taking their own lives. Some taking others' lives, and then taking their lives. We have all these riots going on, which I don't get at all. They're hurting themselves, their own community, their own people but they hate violence, makes no sense. But That's the heart. Those who have no problem taking a police officer's life. ISIS who doesn't care who you are, especially likes to p- persecute Christians. They love to target the Christians and their beliefs. And like I'm sure many of us have asked the question why why is this happening and some may, may even blame god but it's a fallen world it started in the garden with adam and eve but why is this happening I believe the bible is pretty clear in Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is deceitfully deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it We think we know it God tells us what it is but we think we know better We cannot trust in man's standards in man's heart. And that's what we are doing in this world, in this country. We have some who think taking guns away will resolve the problems. And to me, that's like having a car. I like cars too. Car engine trouble, and when you take it to the mechanic, they take air out of the tires and they give it back to you. Again, that makes no sense. They're not dealing with the root of the problem. We are trying to fix man's problems with man's standards of right and wrong. It's going to fail us every time. And you can see it all around us. It's failing us every time. It's getting worse and worse. When will we learn? There is only one way to truly fix it. And that's by fixing the heart of the problem. And I'm emphasizing heart with a capital H. We need to fix the heart. And the kind of heart surgery needed here, no one in this world is capable of doing. I don't care who you are, what degree you have, you're not going to fix it. There is only one qualified, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only qualified surgeon that can fix the heart of this world. We just have to look at all the before and after testimonies of so many Christians in our lives. To see how God transformed the heart and the lives of people. That's why as a, one of the leaders here, it blows my mind to see the before and after of people's lives here. And I'm sure I can speak for all the pastors and the other elders here. It's a real blessing to see people come to the Lord and to see their lives just transform. And to see that before and after. It really blesses me, and I'm sure it blesses my the other leaders too. You know, as we go over Paul's life, the before and after, his conversion, we will see God's handy work. Now let's get back to Paul. Paul's early training put him on the fast track when it came to his religious faith. It was zeal in defending his faith that led him to become a persecutor of the church. There was a disciple of Jesus named Stephen who was brought before a judicial council on the charge of speaking words against the holy place and the law. Stephen challenged the judicial leaders, and they stoned him to death. Saul was at the death of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Let's turn to Acts 7, verses 57 and 58. Starting at verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice. Stopped their ears. And ran at Stephen with one accord. And they cast him out. Out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes. At the feet of a young man. Named Saul. Saul. Saul he also made havoc of the church. Entering homes, dragging men and women to prison. This is found in Acts 8, verse 3. Again, that's Acts 8, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. In Acts 22.19, you will find him entering synagogues, imprisoning and beating those who believe in Jesus Christ. He believed it was necessary to do things contrary to the name of Jesus. And that's found in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He really had it out for Christians. And now his later confession. He also admits he persecuted the church beyond measure in an attempt to destroy it. starting to sound familiar. In Galatians 1 verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted a church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. I guess by now you can see how much Paul hated Christians. Today, we would call him a terrorist. He would be a terrorist today. For such reasons, he considered himself the least of the apostles, Paul. Not worthy to be called an apostle. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 15.9. That's 1 Corinthians 15.9. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted a church of God. How many today feel the same as Paul felt here? Meaning because of what they did in the past, feel they are not worthy. Worthy. or because of current sin in one's life, feel God will never accept them. All I can say to these people is you don't know the God I serve Then, If receiving his forgiveness, his mercy or his grace was based on anything we had to do, We would never be able to achieve it. Just before Jesus took his last breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it is finished means it was finished. Nothing more needed to be done. There is nothing we can or have to do except to say yes when he comes knocking on the door of our heart. Only thing we have to do is just receive it. Salvation is just a prayer away. Now in closing, so just a recap, we learned... About Paul's early life and training, his ancestry and youth, and his education. We learned his character prior to his conversion, and his zeal and hatred towards the Christians. I want to leave you with this. And remind you of this. There is nothing you or I can do to earn God's love. There is nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn His forgiveness or His mercy or His grace. He chooses because He loves us to give it to each and every one of us freely. But are you willing to receive it? Or are you going to continue to possibly keep holding on to the past? You need to let go of whatever that may be. And just confess it. And don't look back. Because God sees it as a clean slate. Whatever it may be. Or maybe what? you're currently going through. So just give it to Him. And don't think, we are all unworthy. Each and every one of us, we are unworthy. But that's what makes God, God, and the loving God that He is, is His love for each and every one of us. And He loves you just as much. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.